The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Part 4 of our NFC North Preview is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale from 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang of your buck. So it's best bang for your buck. So instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers at the stadium. I'm not going to argue with them this time. Two free beers at the stadium on SeatGeek. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Part four of our NFC North preview is also brought to you by MyBookie. The NFL preseason kicks off on August 1st with the Hall of Fame game, and soon we'll have the regular season and regular season NFL and college football. Can't wait for all of that to get started that means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man that's right i'm talking about my bookie with an easy no hassle mobile site 24 7 customer service and bets on every sport and prop imaginable my bookie provides a fun safe betting experience and if you deposit today my bookie will give you a 50 percent deposit bonus that's right you put in a hundred dollars they'll give you 50 you put in a thousand they'll give you 500 and it's just that easy so go to mybookie.ag and sign up today with promo code BEARS100 at mybookie. You play, you win, you get paid. My guest today, as always, when it comes to the Chicago Bears, from the Locked on Bears podcast and NBC Chicago, NBC Sports Chicago, uh, Bears Wire, and everything else in between and Bears related, my good friend Lauren Cox will help us talk about this team. So uh, without further ado, man, Let's wrap up this series with the show that we've all been waiting to get to, the 2019 Chicago Bears. Let's get it. It's the fourth and final NFC North preview. It is the 14th and final opponent preview of 2019, where we bring it all back to our beloved Chicago Bears to wrap up the opponent preview series. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part four of our NFC North preview, talking about our beloved Chicago Bears. And this is the show that we've all been waiting for. Uh, Those of you who have impatiently sat through the last 13 episodes waiting for us to talk more about the Bears than just occasionally mentioning them while we discuss the Raiders, the Rams, the Saints, the uh, and so on. Uh, this is the show for you. Uh, this is a Bears podcast, and we are finally focusing on only the Chicago Bears uh, on this episode. Our good friend Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears will be joining us here in just a few moments to uh, break it all down. Uh, for us Uh, we try not to dwell uh, much if any on 2018 or the Philadelphia game uh, just to kind of spare us all the pain uh, quite frankly but uh, we do dabble on it a little bit 
but uh, it's not something that we spend a good hunk of time on, not like we did when uh, when Lauren was on the show to review the 2018 season in general, fresh off that loss uh, to the Eagles. So that won't be happening this time, but we do just just little kiss of the Philadelphia game, and mostly it's about 2019 and looking forward and, and talking about what this team is capable of the potential where it could all you know lead and and what could go wrong to be honest with you i mean we don't talk too much doom and gloom but we we, we do talk a bit about in the beginning especially about why the, what's what's with the lack of respect is like there's there are teams are you know pundits and and experts and such that are still in love with the rams still in love with the saints nobody's talking about a a drop off there uh they still you know like the cowboys better and and so on and everyone's waiting for the bears to fall flat on their uh faces and 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 why the why the disrespect why the even though we bring back the majority of the team that went 12 and 4 and dominated the division and and uh dominated schedule last year uh where where everyone's favorite pick to uh to fall flat on our faces uh this year lauren and i talk about that quite a bit uh, in the beginning before we start uh, dissecting what is and will be the 2019 uh, Chicago Bears. Uh, a couple of quick news and notes before we get uh, to Lauren. Uh, earlier today, uh, Madden became a lot more fun of a game to play because there are only four players in this year's game with a 99 overall rating, and today it was announced that Khalil Mack is the third of those uh, of those players. Uh, they've been announcing them one one day, one player a day for the last three days, and uh, they announced the fourth and final one tomorrow. And it's been all defense so far. Aaron Donald was the first one announced. Bobby Wagner, the linebacker from the Seahawks, was number two. Khalil Mack was announced as number three. They will announce the fourth and final player tomorrow. Uh, Khalil Mack, the first bear since Erlacher to get the 99 overall rating. I'm guessing that probably happened somewhere around 2005, 2006, when Erlacher was the defensive player uh, of the year. And uh, quite frankly, for those of you that remember, Erlacher did win the defensive player of the year in 2005. And, and frankly, he should have won it again in 2006. The year that we went to the Super Bowl, Erlacher was an absolute beast uh, once again. But for some reason, it went to Jason Taylor in Miami instead of staying in Chicago uh, with with Erlacher. So, but I would guess that if you had to think of a time, because it didn't quite say in the article, but uh, that would probably be around the time that I'd put my money on Erlacher being a 99 overall uh, rated player uh, in the game. The other news, um, the, uh, Melvin Gordon, running back for the San Diego Chargers, uh, just kind of, I don't know if it's out of nowhere, but it, it, came, it became big news uh, to today, last night and into today, that uh, Melvin Gordon wants a new contract. Or he wants to be traded. Like he is going to hold out and not going to camp. He's not doing anything without a new contract for the Chargers or trade me someplace else. And for whatever reason, Bleacher Report listed the Bears as one of about five or six teams that could be a possible landing spot for Melvin Gordon. And um, that's all well and good um, to make the trade for him. Uh, they even listed the possible compensation being one of our two second round picks uh in the 2020 draft okay so we give up a second round pick no big deal then the other problem is melvin gordon still wants to get paid and 
I don't think that uh, the Bears would do that. I think we're already paying guys, and we've got guys that have been on this team and that are proven uh, for the you know as a Chicago Bear that have got paydays coming up that we're going to still have to figure out how to budget into the salary cap, like Tariq Cohen and Eddie Jackson and, oh, yeah, Mitchell Trubisky and, and guys like that, to throw it in at a running back spot before we've seen a down out of David Montgomery and uh, you know Mike Davis and all that kind of stuff. You could probably combine the entire running. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back room we have now and still not reach what it's going to cost to keep a guy like Melvin Gordon. So uh, it, it sounds like a, a fun idea to just add to this uh, offense that's got a lot of exciting parts. You'll hear Lauren and I talk about that here uh, in a few moments, but um, it's just not a feasible trade uh, for the Bears. I mean, it, it's a doable trade, quite frankly. It very, it is very doable, especially if it's all, all it will cost is a second-round pick, a very high price to pay for a running back uh, in today's NFL. But uh, it, it's nothing compared to what we'd have to actually have to pay him in a new contract to keep him beyond 2019 and it's just not just not worth it uh quite frankly other teams uh listed uh the tampa bay buccaneers the buffalo bills the green bay packers so let's hope that doesn't happen uh the last thing we need is melvin gordon terrorizing us for the next five or six years uh twice a year uh wearing a a green bay (laughs) uniform uh maybe a taste of our own medicine considering that uh green bay possibly had a chance to pull the trigger on khalil mack and uh ended up having him go to the Bears and terrorizing them for the next five or six years. But, uh, yeah, I, I would prefer that uh, that that didn't happen. Uh, Buffalo, Chicago, Green Bay, uh, Tampa Bay, and then there were one or two other ones in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was interesting to see the Bears uh, in there, and one second-round pick doesn't seem like a bad price tag. It may be a little steep, quite frankly, but um, it, it's – we wouldn't be able to keep him beyond this year. We'd be paying a second, kind of like the the Eagles, paid a third-round pick to, to rent Golden Tate for the last half of the season. He signed with the Giants in the offseason. It wouldn't be worth it to give up a second-round pick just to hang on to uh, Melvin Gordon for one season to have him rush off into, into free agency uh, next year. So, uh, no, I, I, don't, uh, I don't like that uh, scenario. So we'll, uh, 
we'll let uh, Gordon figure it out and maybe the Chargers will come to their senses and give the guy a contract and keep him happy and on the team or they'll trade him somewhere that is anywhere but Green Bay quite frankly that would be nice so but anyway those are the uh, the quick news and notes uh, that I had uh, for uh, today got uh, lots to cover uh, with Lauren so we're going to go ahead and uh, get into that but real quick before I do go uh, I did want to mention that we are locked in uh, with Adam Rank. I'm gonna talk. We're gonna be talking to him on Monday night. That episode will drop first thing uh, on Tuesday morning. That episode will be uh, available. Uh, when I was talking to Adam today, lining up the times and, and how we're gonna get the the interview set up uh, and whatnot, I asked him for the information uh, on the show that he's going to be doing uh, on the 21st. Uh, in Chicago for this um, for this little tour that he's doing, he's going across, uh, going all over to different places in the country to uh, to do this. And so I uh, asked him for, for the uh, info, and it uh, here it is right here. I'm pulling it up right now. It is the um, Adam Ranks Fantasy Meets Reality Tour, and it's going to be at the Beat Kitchen on 2100 West Belmont in Chicago. On, July, on Sunday, July the 21st, doors open at 8, show starts at 9. Uh, it's a 21 and over show, just in case uh, that applies uh, uh, to anyone. Uh, you can go to the beatkitchen.com and click on events to, uh, to find out uh, to get how to get your hands uh, on uh, tickets. It's uh, Adam Rank with special guest Greg Romero-Wilson, uh, and uh, they'll be doing a kind of like a hybrid comedy slash fantasy football Q and A uh, type of show. To get more details on the show, we'll 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 discuss that for sure when Adam comes on uh, the show. We'll talk about uh, what you guys could be seeing if you're interested uh, in everything. But uh, if you want to get uh, get a line on tickets, it's uh, BeatKitchen.com for Adam Rank's Fantasy Meets Reality Tour Sunday, July 21st. Uh, at the Beat Kitchen. So there you go. There's the info uh, for the show itself. Unfortunately, I will not be able to attend. I have to work Monday morning, and I live four and a half hours away from Chicago. So it's uh, just not in the books uh, for me to be able to go. But I hope you go and you have a great time and uh, tell them that I sent you. So uh, there you have it. So there we go. There you go. We got uh, the Adam Rank uh, Fantasy Meets Reality Tour Sunday, July 21st at the Beat Kitchen in chicago so enjoy that and um there you go there's our news and notes we're going to go ahead and bring on our good friend lauren cox to help us uh break down dissect dive into our beloved chicago bears the 2019 chicago bears this is the team that i've been looking forward to since even before 2018 started before all of the wonder that was the 2018 bears this was the team that i had circled this was the one that i wanted to see lauren and i break it down and uh, look at what could be what we think will be and what we hope can be in 2019 And here we are. This is the finale, the 14th and final Saving the Best for Last with our beloved Chicago Bears. And as always, to join me and talk about our beloved from uh, the Locked on Bears podcast and NBC Chicago and a partridge in a pear tree, 
We got our good friend Lauren Cox. Welcome back to the show, man. It's the true mark of we're getting down to the end of the summer when we get this bear season preview. So I am 100% ready for it. Appreciate you having me back. Amen, man. Amen. So we were talking briefly before we got started here that it's uh, it's already almost training camp, and yet it's just it still feels so far away all at the same time. Yeah, it's it's kind of been a weird summer, and and even just sort of end of the off season, you know, post draft from a Bears perspective, as far as like. You know, we had rookie minicamp, and then we jumped into minicamps and OTAs, and then we had, like, the Bears 100 celebration, and it seemed like Bears stuff kind of lingered even after, you know, the players were done practicing, and it wasn't until just, like, really, like, last week or so that we've kind of hit this true dead of, like, okay, nothing Bears-related has actually happened in a couple weeks. So it was going by, but but now we're kind of at that stopping point. Everything kind of just slowed back down. Yeah, it slowed down to a snail's pace at this point. Did you get to go to the celebration? No, I did not, but I saw a lot of the videos and, you know, live streams and the panels and the jerseys, of course, all that cool stuff. Ah, yes. So what did you think of the uniform? Let's talk about that real quick. <sighs> you know, I don't I don't have like a super strong opinion. I'm like I'm not crazy about it, but I don't hate it either. I mean, it's it's fine. There've been some really bad throwbacks from other teams sure. and it's just not in that category at all, but but I didn't see it and was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. I need to get one of those. It was just like, okay, it's a throwback to the, was it the 40s? And that's neat or whatever. But, you know, okay. So it was 30, 36, I think, is the team oh, yeah, that it's yeah. modeled after. Yeah. So, I mean, when I saw it, I, um, and I, you know, as, as I'm sure I've told you before, I am the self-professed uniform snob. These kinds of things really affect me emotionally at times. And uh, like the fact that we're going to be wearing those god-awful orange jerseys a few times uh, this year. I'm not looking forward to that at all. But um, it, it struck me in, in, in different ways because it's like the helmet, initially not crazy about it. But like you said, I didn't hate it. You know, I can handle it. It's from 36, so that's not too much of a, you know, not a big leap to like, okay, they, they wore something that looked like that. The jersey, honestly, I never. I really liked the jersey. Knee-jerk reaction, first time I saw it, I liked the the jersey. The stripes on the shoulders, the blocky, like, varsity-type numbers, those were cool. Can't go wrong with the all-solid uh, navy blue pants. And then I come to a screeching halt when we go from the knees down and those god-awful, like, pippy long-stocking socks that they're wearing. They're just atrocious. And it just everything stops there for me. I just I can't get past the socks, like everything stops there. Yeah, it it calls back to the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers bumblebee. Ah, yes. Look on those socks. I'm not crazy about it, and even like the helmet. For some, you know, it gives me that like Michigan Wolverine sure. slash Delaware Blue Hands. Shout out to Matt Nagy. I mean that that kind of a vibe. That I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't scream Bears to me. I guess. Well, here was the other thing that kind of grabbed me was when I saw it. I saw the pictures. And it looked one way in pictures, and then when they saw like the promo video of Kyle Fuller and Tariq Cohen posing in the uniform, it looked different. Like it, like the orange didn't pop as much in the video as it did in the in the photographs. Like if it was a softer orange, closer to the, what the Bears actually wear, then it didn't look as as horrifying as it did. In those in those photographs, where where apparently the, you know like they photoshopped and, and tweaked some of the colors to kind of you know make it pop a little bit uh, more. So I'm I'm actually going to reserve my 100% final judgment until I actually see the uniform on television because 
video shows me one thing, photos show me others, is something else. And so I'm, I'm kind of you know holding off on on it. I it's I still hate the socks, no matter what kind of orange <laughs> I'm looking at. The uniform itself, I I don't have a problem with from the knees up. I'm good. The pants, yes. The jersey, like the jersey a lot. The helmet is a hit or miss thing for me. Like, eh, okay, fine, I, I guess. But the the socks, that's where it all falls apart for me. And I I just come back to you know as as much as the socks are are bad, I think we can we can walk away feeling okay if, they, if that's the worst part. Yeah, we we can live. You know, the jerseys are white. They're slick. You know, I think when it's when it's the jersey itself, I think is the biggest thing of like. Because it's so big, it's so noticeable. It's it's what your eyes are drawn to. The pants, a little bit after that, but you know the, the socks end up at the bottom, and then the helmet, the, you know the jerseys themselves are solid. When you talk about what you would right. buy at the store, so that's that's important. Right, indeed. So yeah, we just spent five minutes talking about a jersey. So there we go. But um, so I mean, speaking of that 100 year celebration, uh, somebody brought a horrifying thought online on on Twitter about can you imagine if, God forbid, the 100-year celebration fell two years ago when John Fox was still a coach, we're coming off a 3-13 and season, and we're trying to get the fan base excited about the 100th year of, of Bears football with John Fox and Dole Loggins calling the shots. Yeah, it worked out so well, right, for this it, to actually It be. really did. It really, really did. Is there a coach in Bears history that would have that would have been any more fitting for? I mean, the, the way that Nagy engages with his players and even with the fan base and the, the community and just endearing himself and, and both you know that young energy as well. I mean, you know, other coaches haven't been you know boring old men like John Fox that don't have a lot of energy, but there's just something extra in a good way about Matt Nagy, something above and beyond in that regard. That and even if I look across the NFL, I mean. Which which coach would I love to have a 100 year celebration with? I mean, there's some other ones I'm sure across the league, but Matt Nagy's definitely near the top of that list. Absolutely, yeah. And it, like you said, it was kind of a a perfect storm for it all to kind of come down the way that it did. Uh, the team that the Bears and the season that they were able to put together last season. So people are very excited about this 100th season. Not even really because it is the 100th season, just because. This is a year where, where where people think the Bears are really going – well, actually, depends on who you talk to. So we'll talk about that as we go along here. But, you know, there's a lot of people, pundits, experts, whatever you want to call them, that think that this is a team that is ripe for regression and another team that, you know, like, like uh, a la Lewis Reddick, who's a huge fan of the team, thinks that they are a Super Bowl contender right here, right now, without having seen how some of these new parts are going to work. Yeah, that that variety I think is what at least maybe keeps things a little bit more interesting. You know, it's it's you're never going to have everybody all in on the team being good, and it's easy for people to kind of jump in and try and say things are going to be bad. But it's it it keeps things interesting, and at least maybe I, I don't want to say like it's not always a good thing to to allow too many other viewpoints if they're not educated. But you are at least kind of getting somewhat of a balance that okay, maybe you know maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, or, or where exactly that middle is, right. it's hard to tell. And without talking about the actual reasons that some of these people name, overall, what do you think it is that, like, just historically, the Bears never get a lot of credit when when they've had, I mean, outside of the teams that they had in the 80s. Anytime the Bears show any kind of success, nobody really believes that it's going to be, you know, that they're going to double down on the success and be successful again. It's like every year they're kind of setting themselves up, the detractors, if you will, 
to be disappointed or, or whatever or gearing up to be the I told you so group. The Bears are one of those teams that those people can't really wait to be right or wrong uh, about. And why, why do you think that is? Like the Bears can never really get to see, you know, like the Rams, people are still in love with the Rams. They think it's going great even though they lost a bunch of people in the offseason. No one's doubting what's going to happen with the Rams, but the Bears have one good season. We have 99% of that roster still in place, and yet people are tripping over themselves to call the Bears the team that's going to disappoint in 2019. Yeah, I think some of that is just sort of recent history, and not just the well, four straight fourth-place finishes in the NFC North, but like even when the Bears have had their spikes of good play, or, or at least spikes of, of hype even. you know, they, they have that big 2010 season where you know Jay Cutler and the, the whole – NFC North you know, championship game, but then they followed it up with kind of an eight and eight year and Jay Cutler gets hurt and yada, yada, yada. And then they come back and even, even in 2012 with Lovey Smith and they go 10 and six, but miss the playoffs. I mean, they, they've got these ups and downs and even before that, the big 2001 season. And then they come back in 2002 and just totally flop after that. I mean, there, there, there've been years, uh, especially during the Jay Cutler era where it was kind of easy to get excited about the team and they were never able to consistently win at a sustained level, you know, for multiple seasons. Whereas you know, the Rams have had two seasons of success, at least with that specific example. And a lot of the other teams that don't get as much doubt have had at least a little bit more of a, a track record of, I guess, franchise stability for, for lack of a better word there of, of being able to put together some more consistency from season to season and not have so much of the ups and downs. And, and the bears are just kind of in a point where it's okay. You have the up, and people are kind of waiting to see, I think, nationally, let's, you know, prove it. You know, show that this isn't just a, a flash in the pan like we've seen sometimes out of Bears teams of years past. Yeah, I just think that this team in particular, I, I feel, is is way more loaded than, than those other teams in the past. It's almost reminiscent of the Cubs. You're a Cubs fan, right? Uh, I'm not, not so much. Or does I, your Wisconsin blood, are you a Brewers guy? What's going on there? So, like, I'm not... I'm not a huge, huge baseball guy, but my allegiances do lie with uh, Milwaukee. I see. Okay. Well, anyway, the Cubs have always been one of those teams where they've always had some nice pieces in place. They've always had a talented guy. Every once in a while, they'll put a year together, and then the next year, almost inevitably, they'll be a disastrously bad uh, team. So that's, I guess that's kind of what we're looking at with the Bears. Like you mentioned, 2001, 13-3, home field in in the playoffs and you know or whatever and that and then we lose that game to philly and then 2002 uh you know with 16 road games essentially because we were they tore down soldier field to rebuild it kind of thing but four and 12 in 2002 uh you know 2010 we fall flat into in 2011 after the cutler injury and then 2012 happens and so on and so forth so i i definitely see where you where you're coming from there that 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 people are looking for the uh, we're waiting for the consistency to kick in, but I just I like the team that we have too much to to see all the negativity that the Bears have been getting. Yeah, and, and like even you know you kind of the negativity perhaps doesn't have a ton of you know actual concrete justification right. you know, to stay in the off season, but like you know I, like you even think back to some of those Bears teams that we were talking about there as to the reasons why you know they weren't as successful the next year. I mean, even after like the Super Bowl season, a lot of those it's like. They have a big season, and then the next year, for whatever reason, injuries you know seem to be the issue. And it's not that the team, you know, all the same players came back and just played worse, but you know the situation that the team went through. You know, Jay Cutler gets hurt that year, or 
year after the Super Bowl, they, they kind of rotated between Rex Grossman and Brian Greasy and Kyle Orton. And, you know, there, there were a lot of other factors. It wasn't just like, you know, picking up exactly where you left off the season before, but other things started to go wrong. So, you know, it's not necessarily that they disappointed as, or more so that they just kind of didn't have the opportunities that they did the previous year to be successful. And that that could very well be the case for the two. I mean, you never know what could happen in 2019 where, you know, somebody gets hurt or, or things just go wrong for some way they can't control. And then all of a sudden the people who were negative about it were right, but they weren't right that the team regressed. They just, you know, they would, they would just be right that things went poorly. It's not always as simple as, you know, the team just is worse the next year. A lot of times there can be different factors that, that sure. play into that. That's just totally out of your control. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just as as a fan, you just kind of wonder where you know where the hostility comes from. Sometimes it it really does seem like some people out there can't wait for the Bears to fail uh, this year, so they can say they were the ones that said back in February that this was this is the way the year was going to go down before you know move number one in in free agency or anything like that was even made. So, well, and you get some people that are, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not even thinking of anybody in particular. Like I'm not trying to like talk around an individual or anything, but you, I'm sure there are people out there that like, for example, if you were low on Mitchell Trubisky in the draft, you look better if Mitchell Trubisky struggles and, you know, has a bad season then your evaluation of him in the draft looks better. So you might be a little bit more negative in that way, trying to sort of project that forward. Or if you didn't think Matt Nagy would be a good head coach candidate because of his inexperience with at Kansas city, which I will admit I, I wasn't, I, I had my concerns. I'll so just say, did I. so Nagy. did I, you did too. Yeah. So, so to kind of justify the way, you know, someone previously felt about whatever player it is on the Bears or multiple players or coaches or however they evaluated certain things with this team, you can have some incentive there to say, oh, well, this team's not going to be very good in order to sort of justify a, a football analyst's previous analysis. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it before. I, I think I have brought it up with you. Like, what what did the Bears or the city of Chicago or whatever do to Jason Lock and Fora? Like, that guy hates everything Chicago Bear-related. He thinks Mitchell Trubisky is the Antichrist, and the, he's the, he's one of the main ones that's like the Bears are are ripe for regression. Like, the 2019 is going to be a disaster uh, for them. But everything that he always says, about it's never positive. He never has anything positive to say about this. Like, it's just full-on, like, rage that he has towards the team because he's never given them credit for anything uh, or anything like that. He's always been very hateful towards Chicago. Yeah, and you, I think you used to see this even sometimes with some me, like even local media members that you know mm. that cover the team. I, th I think more in years past. I think the guys that they have now, for the most part, across the the beat writers are, are fairly, you know, uh, avoid this. But a guy like Jason Lockenfor might be negative on the Bears because, say, they don't supply him with information. When True. He yeah. Or, or, you know, Ryan Pace doesn't answer his phone calls or even players that he's tried to interview have given him poor interviews or X, Y, Z. Sometimes you'll see that even with the beat writers, like I said, like if if Jay like when Jay Cutler gives you a bad interview, you know, maybe all of a sudden your coverage of Jay Cutler gets a little bit more negative. And same with head coaches. If they you know if they if you feel like they're not giving you the interview or the information or whatever, sometimes you can see that kind of turned around and reflected in their analysis and their coverage of the team. So, you know, you never know. Some of the back channels for some of the national pundits, you know, it works the other way, too, that I'm sure Lewis Reddick probably has some friends in the organization. You know, maybe he knows Matt Nagy going back to the days at the Eagles or whatever. And and so not that he not that that totally 
unjustifies his opinion, but maybe it's easier for him to have more of a confident, positive opinion about the team. So it does go both ways. But I, I suspect with Jason Lockenfora, the Bears are a team that have not cooperated with his desire to be an insider, quote unquote. Like I said, I have no doubt that that very well could be the case because there has to be something. There does, because there's just, uh, you know, with what the Bears did last year and the progress that Trubisky did make, despite the struggles that he had, he was leaps and bounds better than he was at the end of the 2017 uh, season. There was like no credit for any progress that he'd made, no progress for anything that the Bears did, the moves that they made, the team that Ryan Pace put together, nothing. So I have no doubt there was some kind of bad interaction, whether it was something that happened with Ryan Pace or maybe it was a John Fox thing that he still got bad blood about or or whatever the case. Something happened, and Lock and Fora's got it all for the Bears. And some of those things can like linger yeah. through multiple you know eras and administrations and regimes of like maybe Jerry Angelo screwed over Jason Lock and Fora <laughs> and gave him bad information. It's like, okay, but now, from now on, no matter who they hire, I'm not going to like that. You know, stuff right. like, some of those guys can hold grudges for a long time. Yeah, I, like I said, I have no doubt. There has to be something because with, with logic there, it just it doesn't make sense for him to come out against the Bears the way he does. There has to be something there. So maybe you can do a little investigative report on that and come back. Get back to me at some point during the season. How's that sound? I'll check with my hashtag sources. There you go. There you go. So... Looking forward uh, in 2019, we're not going to talk about 2018. We talked that to death uh, when we talked about a week or so after the after the doink that ended in one of the most promising seasons I've ever witnessed. And um, so we look into, um, first of all, we, we talked about losing Vic Fangio, and he's off to Denver. Uh, I believe when we talked, we, had a, we talked a, briefly about Pagano being hired as the defensive uh coordinator of the team and and basically he's going to be picking up where they left off and 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 a lot of people are very concerned about the transition from from Fangio to Pagano and it's legitimate concern but I don't think it's anything to be overly worried about but um, that was one of the more significant things that happened because free agency for the most part for the Bears was about maintenance so much than overhauling the team which hasn't been the case for a while yeah it's it's a a little bit of a you know it's there's some continuity but at the same time the the transitional period here is you know it's it's still it's still a factor i mean it's it's kind of one of these weird like i don't know how often you see this where like a team brings back so many of the starters and a new coach is just supposed to come in and kind of just the old coach in the same way that a new player is supposed to come in and kind of just fill the role of the previous player but now you know you don't want Chuck Pagano to change everything but you don't want you know but you don't want him to not tweak anything and it's right. I, I don't I don't envy him necessarily coming into this situation with the expectations that'll be as high as as they will be for Chuck Pagano but you know he's he's been through a, a lot worse I suppose so I'm, I'm I'm pulling for him yeah I'm I'm excited to see what he's uh what he's going to be capable of i mean his predecessor has got a similar situation in denver where that's a defense that's ready to hit the ground running i mean you got you got even better edge rushers than the bears have in chicago i mean he's got von miller on one side bradley chubb on the other i mean granted he had khalil mack but we had adequate people on the other side of khalil mack but he's virtually he's got von miller and then von miller jr out there in denver so they're going to be expected to be 
animals like they were in Chicago in Denver. So he's going to have a heavyweight to carry out there as well if that defense is in a top five uh, unit because he came into town. Yeah, he got screwed over with the whole quarterback situation. He did and for Vic, like if he, if he could have gone there and they you know they could have drafted you know whatever kind of top quarterback in the draft and you know you buy yourself some time there. But the, the whole like you know trying to rely on Flacco and uh, I you makes you wonder like how much of that was Vic Fangio's choice versus John Elway kind of doing his thing. So I I feel for Vic, but I I hope I hope he can you know continue to live out his dream as a head coach. Yeah, agreed. So looking at free agency for the Bears, like I said, it was we did have some holes to fill. Uh, Adrian Amos and Bryce Callahan did leave. We didn't keep either of them. There was always talk throughout the season and, and before the free agency period started that we'd keep at least one of them, and that didn't happen. Bryce Callahan goes to Denver. He follows Fangio out there. Adrian Amos stays close to home with Green Bay. Not a big fan of that move, but uh, their replacements, at least for the time being, uh, Buster Skrine, uh signed away from the New York Jets to be our new nickel. And HaHa Clinton Dix um, rejoins Eddie Jackson, his college teammate, in the, uh, in the backfield to, uh, to hopefully rejuvenate his career. Yeah, and, and that was, I think, so key to the transition from a secondary standpoint of, of you know, like I, I'm not a huge fan of Buster Screen and as a as a slot report replacement for Bryce Callahan. I think we're going to see a drop off there, but but to be able to replace Amos with somebody like Haha Clinton Dix, especially at the investment or lack thereof, right? That that's such a I don't want to say like salvage is a strong word, but as far as like trying to maintain as much as you can in the consistency, that was such a, a critical piece to being able to still have such a high level of performance there. Cause if you had to replace, you know, if you're, if you're rocking Dion Bush, you know, you like, you couldn't get anybody and, and Buster screen. I mean, you're starting to add a couple more potential concern areas here, but I don't think there are too many bears fans that are concerned about Clinton Dix. He's not going to be, he's a different type of player than Adrian Amos, but in terms of the quality of the football player, you're getting uh, not too many people upset about that one. Right. And, and I think that, that much like the 2018 team where the, they found success with intangibles more so than than anything. Like I think you and I both agreed that we thought the Bears would be better last year with the influx of talent on the offensive side and then obviously the last second trade uh, for Khalil Mack. But I don't think you and I agree- thought that it would translate into as many wins as it became, and that was due to, to, to the effect Matt Nagy uh, had on the team and, and the culture that he brought to Chicago how will that culture infect a guy like Haha Clinton Dix, who's already excited about being in Chicago, has acknowledged to people that he took less money to come here and 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 be a part or have a chance to be a part of this and and go forward uh, from there? Maybe that and the fact that he's on a one-year prove-it deal, sky could be the limit with with Clinton Dix. Yeah, that's all what makes it such a a valuable and and critical signing, I think, to the the health and the consistency of, of the secondary and in turn like the rest of the defense i mean a guy like this that we've seen play at a pro bowl level before and maybe right. maybe he wasn't well he he wasn't at that level you know his last season in green bay and, and washington although i think he, he got a little bit almost underrated through that part but you know to be able to, to you know you see the the potential there and to be able to get something like that you know with sort of the perfect mix move him into Chicago I mean like you said you know the Eddie Jackson connection and the culture here and then the prove it deal and and just sort of everything in the right time in the right place yeah specifically for haha Clinton Dix you know there, there was no other 
free agent safety that would be able to kind of check all of those boxes and, and provide everything that the Bears would need in that regard right. to be able to be that valuable at that low of a contract. I mean, it really was sort of the, the perfect storm just to kind of get that move into this secondary and, and try and keep things flowing from where they were last year. Yeah, I mean, and to get him for literally 25% of what other safeties were going for on the market uh, this year. I mean, a- Amos was even on the lighter side, and he got nine mil a season from Green Bay. When you're talking about guys like like the Honey Badger uh, signing with the Chiefs or um, Earl Thomas got a big deal from uh, from Baltimore, you know, the, the, the safeties are getting 14 mil a season. We got haha Clinton Dix for three and a half. So I'll take that, you know, and taking taking a shot on a guy without having to bet the farm on him. I'll take that shot. And that's just what comes with not only the culture, but the winning, too. I mean, it's yeah. it's not only how people act in the locker room and respect each other and stuff, but being a, a successful winning team that goes to the playoffs and wins the NFC North and has the number one defense, that's. That's what affords the Bears this opportunity that I don't think we would have seen them be able to make a move quite like that under John Fox. Yeah. With, <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So um, so looking at the other additions, the influx of new guys, I mean, because uh, we re-signed a bunch. We got Aaron Lynch to come back. Pat O'Donnell uh, was re-signed. Bobby Massey signed to an extension before free agency got started. And uh, Ben Broniker all coming back. The new guys... We signed Marvin Hall on a one-year deal. He's more of a speedster, kick return uh, kind of guy from Atlanta. Mike Davis, the running back that uh, from Seattle, he signed on a two-year deal. Uh, Ted Larson is a returning guy. We had him for a bit, and now we brought him back to help with our O-line depth. And then the person I'm most – I don't know if I'm excited or just intrigued about uh, Cordero Patterson and what he brings to the table just because – a, the guy has literally done everything on the offensive side. I think he maybe even thrown a pass or two. I was going to say done everything but play quarterback, but I think he's thrown the ball a few times. He's been lined up as a running back. He's been a receiver, and he's been to a Pro Bowl as a kick returner. So what can Matt Nagy do with a guy like that? I can't wait to see. Yeah, a lot of these offensive pieces, you know, and even when you, when you get to the draft picks in a little bit, they're all just sort of fun fits for Matt Nagy's offense. And, you know, a guy like Cordero Patterson, like you said, can line up everywhere, run the ball, catch the ball, and add that sort of that balance to Tariq Cohen. You know, like when Tariq Cohen's on the field, you really have to like keep an eye on him, and you can kind of like follow him around and try and dedicate somebody to him. But then when you had a second, I mean, not that Patterson is exactly the same, but in terms right. of to be used, a second Tariq Cohen that can motion the same way and play the same spots in the offense. I don't know how you're supposed to get a handle on on both of those guys on the field. And even you know somebody like Mike Davis, who can be an all-around back out of the backfield, great pass protector. I think he's an underrated receiver. Wasn't used like that a ton in Seattle, but but I think he can do a pretty solid job there and, of course, run the ball as well. And, you know, you throw David Montgomery in that conversation, that's, you know, we'll, we'll save that a little bit. But there's a lot of guys now that can do a lot of different things in this offense. It's not just line up Allen Robinson on the outside and line up Adam Shaheen at inline tight end, and that's where they're going to line up, and they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to do that to the level that they can, but you're not you're not going to be surprised by what Allen Robinson does on the field. I mean, he, you know what he's going to do, and he's going to do it at a high level, and that's great, but to be able to exploit more of that creativity and get guys that have more versatility, it's, it really just makes the season that much more exciting, and, and I can't, I'm, I mean, I can't imagine what Matt Nagy has going through his head all off season. Yeah, the only thing that kind of bums me out is that we're for we're almost certain that we're going to have to wait until 
September 5th to see it if Matt Nagy treats the preseason this year like he did last year. We're not going to see any of this in the preseason. Maybe a drive or two like the second game of the preseason. But other than that, those guys are going to be on being street clothes on the sidelines watching the other guys try to make the team. Yeah, I would expect it to almost be worse than last year because at Maybe. least last, yeah. last year the guys still had to learn the offense. So like I would have thought they would have played them more last year. But now that almost everybody on this team knows the full offense and the defense, they have even less incentive to want to play them. So in theory, they might play even less than we saw last year. I, I hope not, but I, I fear for it. It's like, oh, God, thanks. I, was, I wasn't looking forward to the preseason and you just made it worse for me. Thank you so much. But uh, you know, for it by the time we get there, absolutely, it'll be it'll be <laughs> worth it. It'll be worth it on September fifth. So speaking of September fifth, we already talked about Green Bay and Adrian uh, Amos. That's where he's headed. Bryce Callahan, like you said, kind of followed uh, Fangio, which was kind of a switcheroo there because everyone was kind of thinking that Amos would follow Fangio to Denver, not Bryce Callahan. But it went down the way it did. Uh, other big names that we lost, maybe not so big names, but we're Bear fans, so these guys are all names to us. Uh, Benny Cunningham ends his tenure in Chicago, goes to Jacksonville. Brian Witzman and Eric Cush both signed with the Browns, so will be adding depth uh, to that, uh, to Baker Mayfield and company, as opposed to uh, Mitch and, uh, and, and our guys here in town. Daniel Brown and Josh Bellamy signed with the Jets. Kevin White, God bless him. Found a new home in Arizona. He's on a one-year prove-it deal out there. And then Michael Burton, who I was not sad to see go, uh, signed a deal with the Saints. And then, of course, we cut Cody Parkey. Uh, Sam Acha was a salary cap casualty, which is unfortunate. And Deion Sims, which pretty much useless his entire time in Chicago, was also let go. So, And then, of course, the big one that I'm forgetting or haven't mentioned yet, Jordan Howard traded away to the uh, Eagles uh, for a conditional draft pick that could be a fifth rounder which is what we gave up to draft him in the first place yeah and as much as that was a fairly decently long list of names right you don't still feel like there's a much of a drop-off I mean in terms of just on paper pure talent I mean the defense didn't really I mean they replaced but they didn't necessarily like add anything super notably consistent but but offensively you dropped off a lot of guys there, but you know when you replace them with all the guys we were talking about before, plus all the rookies, you know not not really much of a, a draft a drop off there. And I, I wonder, you, know, you, you mentioned Sam Acho, and I I had kind of forgotten about that whole thing. And Me he's too. still yeah. he's still sitting at a free agent, and the Bears have sure. calf space. I wonder if they could bring him back at some point, if you know on a one year cheaper deal than he was before, and have another body at the outside linebacker position. You can never have too many of those. Right. Um, as far as the guys that we did lose, oddly. One of the people that ranks highest on the list as far as sad to see him go is Josh Bellamy. I didn't think that I would feel that way. I didn't think I would be disappointed to see Bellamy go because there was such a... 2016, I was not the biggest fan of Josh Bellamy. Dropping the touchdown pass against Tennessee that would have won the game when he jumped up in the air to catch it for no reason. And it hit him in the chest and fell down. And the guy couldn't catch a cold in Siberia if he was butt naked and... You know, but in 2017 he was a bit better, and then 2018 he was such a utility guy uh, for for Nagy, and and even scored a touchdown or two. Uh, I was disappointed to see him go, and then Witzman. I was kind of hoping that we would hang on to him to for this for the O line uh, depth uh, and everything. I think those are like my top two as far as guys that we saw go. 
you know i mean jordan howard obviously ranks up there but we that was kind of an inevitable inevitable thing so that's why that one didn't hurt as much but i was kind of hoping we could hang on to witzman kind of hoping that we could bring bellamy back but if you we lose josh bellamy but we get cordero patterson i'll take that trade yeah and riley ridley and marvin hall right and emmanuel <laughs> hall yeah they <laughs> they did they did a pretty well i mean i agree with you about the offensive line too i was a bigger eric cush fan than i think a lot of people in you have a guy that can start at guard or center, and maybe he's not going to be a top starting player at those positions, but be that valuable, versatile depth. I, I'm not crazy about the offensive line depth outside of Ted Larson at this point, so I would have I would have thought they could prioritize that, but otherwise, not really missing too much anywhere on this roster besides kicker. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely a Cush guy. I liked him uh, a whole lot. It's just that what what really kind of bugged me about or I mean, maybe it wasn't so much bugged me but or, or you know confused me you know confounded me whatever you want to call it was that you know obviously we knew that once Daniels got the spot it was his to keep and um but those like that time that uh when Kyle Long went down we signed Witzman off the street and then he's automatically plugged in as opposed to Eric Cush taking the right guard spot while Long was out that part I couldn't quite get like I don't I don't think it's so important to make sure that they stay on one side of the line uh or the other and Kush couldn't find his way back out on the field when he's he knows the offense he's there he knows the the team the system the calls whatever but we the guy that we pulled off the street is the one that's playing instead of him that's where I kind of put a little bit more weight with Witzman than I would with Kush as far as bringing him back yeah, I was I was always kind of confused about that. I was confused from the start when they did the rotation with James yeah. Daniels and Eric Cush. I, conventional wisdom always kind of says, stick your five guys in there and let them just build some of that continuity. So that, it was always just like a little bit of a head-scratcher there, but it worked out. You know, at the end of the day, the offensive line is solid. They, they got their starting five in there. So it, whether it was the perfect plan or not, it, the results are so satisfactory. So, okay. so far, yeah, so far. So we go into draft night, and um, first two days were very uneventful. Uh, well, at least until we got to the tail end of day two, when because we had to wait for the Bears until eighty-seven. Thankfully, uh, they were able to uh, maneuver a bit, or felt compelled to at least that the that a run uh, running backs was going to begin. And it looks like they were right because um, what's his name from Memphis went to the Rams, Daryl Henderson. Was that yes, Daryl Henderson, and uh, he goes to the goes to the Rams. But you know, I I really didn't. I wasn't wasn't keen on him because it looked like we we're at like we already have a Tariq Cohen. We don't need to add uh, another one. I mean, obviously, I don't think you could have too many uh, Tariq Cohens. But we got a guy that does that already. We don't need him. And then David Montgomery was a guy that had been talked about a lot. He'd been kind of slated to the Bears for a majority of the off season, a possibility. Everyone was pretty certain that running back was going to be a top priority in the draft, even with us picking in the late 80s uh, in the third round. And the Bears move up to 73 and get their hands on Montgomery from uh, from Iowa State. And um, even though we didn't pick until 73, it seems like we still, we still got a top flight, top pick in this year's draft. Yeah, and really, too, when you, when you bring in Riley Ridley, I mean, not top. Oh, man. Riley Ridley. Yeah. When you talk about being able to extract as much value as you can from the draft picks, getting a guy like David Montgomery, you know that's that's good value for the running back position as, as much as Twitter debates how valuable the position is and whether or not you should use a first round pick on whenever you know third round kind of feels like that point where even even the most staunch 
anti-running back analysts out there, third round is when you say, okay, this is a, the most reasonable time to start right. really getting a good running back. And then to be able to get somebody like Riley Ridley in the fourth round, not to jump ahead too much here, but a, a route runner like this who can really kind of plug and play in the offense right away as a, a, you know, outside of the top 100 picks in the draft, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, tremendous value for Riley Ridley because in, in mock drafts and all that kind of stuff, this is a guy that was supposed to come off the board before David Montgomery, not still be there 50-plus picks later for the Bears to for, for him to fall into the Bears' lap. The Bears didn't have to trade up or trade down to get Riley Ridley. 126 was their next pick, and boom, there he was, and he was our guy. It's like, we don't really need another wide receiver, but why wouldn't we take this guy in this spot? Yeah, and it was tough because it's like as much as you wanted to invest maybe in a, you know, another young safety to eventually take over or you know maybe another young cornerback. I mean, there were other positions of quote-unquote need that maybe you know you look at the draft board and, okay, maybe we, you could have taken him or you could have taken that. But you got you got to stick to best player available when you're in a position like this with, this with this team and you're already kind of in this process of, you know, turning over and having your young guys rise up and start to take bigger positions. You can never have too many wide receivers, and given the injury history of Allen Robinson and even Taylor Gabriel to some extent, not not too bad to overload at that position and let Matt Nagy figure out how to get him all the ball. Exactly. And then uh, in the sixth round, um, a guy that didn't really blow anybody's hair back when he came off the board, but somebody who, and we'll talk more about OTAs here in a second, but somebody who's been really impressing, like beat writers and such that were allowed to watch the OTA practices was Duke Shelley, the corner from Kansas State. I mean, there's there's rumors right now that he might win the nickel job from Buster Scrine. Yeah, and that would be, I mean, in, incredible. And I, I would guess, you know, as as training camp gets going and, you know, the Bears aren't going to want to rush him into that, but it's, it's always encouraging. I mean, how many six-round picks can you think of in recent years that jump out that quickly? I mean, guys like Bilal Nichols, you know, it's a little bit more into the season when we start to see some of those flashes, but to be able to kind of plug and play, it shows you he's he's more football player than just athlete. I mean, he is sure. he's not an unimpressive athlete, don't get me wrong, but you could you know, you can tell when a guy can just kind of jump in and ball, there's something natural about that 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 really uh, stands out above, you know, the other young guys that are plugging in there and just trying to catch up. Yeah, and our two seventh rounders, Kareth White Jr., running back out of Florida. Uh, Atlantic, according to his coach, um, his name is right on the tip of my tongue. What's his name? Um, oh, uh, God, I hate it when I do this. Um, Kiffin, Lane Kiffin was the head coach at Florida Atlantic. The Bears, yes. the Bears got a steal at two twenty-two uh, with Kareth White, and then rounding it out, Stephen Denmark, a corner from El Valdosta State, who. After I saw his um, his measurables, his his height, his weight, I was not surprised to find out that the six foot two, two hundred and thirty pound guy used to be a wide receiver. So he's got a big, long, lanky frame, but switched to corner. Did well enough to get himself drafted. So I think out of all these guys, he's probably the biggest project in those five players. But um, you know, I, I I was really impressed with what uh, Ryan Pace did with those five picks. You know, a less is more kind of thing that, um, you know, I, th I think he did really well with, with the draft this year. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's about kind of looking at them individually because, you know, collectively, this draft class isn't going to have a massive impact on the success or 
you know, struggles of a Bears team this season. But, you know, being able to get any contributions from, you know, just a group of five guys, mostly all towards the end of the draft, I think you, you know, that you have to sort of, when you, when you set the expectations appropriately, you can really see a lot of potential to be able to get more than they bargained for here. Even if, you know, Denmark is a project who doesn't contribute that much, but there's, there's opportunities for Shelly Montgomery Ridley and even potentially Kareth White plus the undrafted rookie free agents that might also be able to sneak onto this 53 man roster. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing what the, uh, I mean, and because we only had five draft choices, the bears signed the, the biggest crop of undrafted free agents. I think I've ever seen them sign. I think it was 21 or 22 guys that they signed to round out the, uh, the 90 man roster after the, uh, the draft. And there are some interesting names, uh, in that group, uh, Alex bars, uh, an offensive lineman from Notre Dame who's obviously had some time and, and, and miles logged in with Harry Heaston. Uh, Mathieu Betts, the linebacker from the Canadian school, the number three overall pick in the Canadian Football League draft, and he didn't even know. Like, he beat writers had to tell him, you got drafted number three overall by, like, Montreal or something. He's like, okay, great. I'll be here in Chicago trying to make this team. So, but he's been making he's been making waves um Sam Mustafer, another offensive lineman from Notre Dame Dax Raymond a tight end from Utah State and you know and that's just the tip of the iceberg out of the 20 or so guys that we did sign it's going to be tough to to find who to keep who to let go and all that kind of stuff it's going to be an interesting you know cut day for for Ryan Pace and company yeah and that's always a good problem to have yes. it, it seems like in the uh, in the old days, you know the the twenty tens that you know, that decade when we'd be talking about fifty three man roster projections, it was never an issue of like having too many great players and trying to figure out who to cut. It was kind of just like okay, you know where do you want to keep more bodies because you're going to need more bodies at that position because you you don't know if any of them are going to be any good. So it's it's a great luxury to have a lot of you know you see a lot of that young depth coming in the secondary in particular with with Denmark and then two undrafted free agent cornerbacks and another safety and I think they had another a couple more at you know rookie mini camps and stuff so you can kind of see between that and the four undrafted free agent tight ends where the Bears wanted to add some young talent and kind of hope that you know one or two guys are maybe even able to arise from those groups but it's going to be an exciting kind of class to see at training camp because even as you get to the third team there's guys here to be excited about it's not just some no-name third-year veteran that can't stick on a roster. There's some real intriguing third-string bench guys in Chicago, which it's not it's not Dane Sonsenbacher and Matt Blanchard anymore. It's some <laughs> real football players. Yeah, and, and I think that will probably make the preseason a bit more intriguing for me this year because a lot of times you sit down and you watch the preseason. The starters come out there. They play a handful of plays. They go sit down, and it's time for the guys that are trying to make the team to go out and make their case uh, and everything we know that this roster for the most part is set. I would think maybe we've got about eight spots for the other 40 or so players that are playing uh, for a spot uh, right now. And watching them battle for those spots, I think could make the preseason uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, a fun, just gives you some kind of stakes for that second quarters and, and, yeah. and third and, and, you know, second half and, all the different opportunities to see these guys because you know there's still a few of those guys that you know just have absolutely zero shot but there's enough intrigue I think at the bottom of the depth chart at enough positions that it's like you know you don't know who 
all your backup offensive linemen are going to be. And you, you don't know exactly who your five slash six wide receivers are going to be. And you don't know who your number four running back, if there's going to be a number four and you know how many tight ends and you know, in the back of the, the cornerback group, you had, you know, like all your positions have your, your top guys. Your, obviously your starting lineup is set and then your top backups are pretty much set. But like you said, even if it's only seven or eight spots, those seven or eight spots have a handful of guys for each one that are all going to make some impact here in the preseason. Yeah, and there always seems like Ryan Pace has had a gift to to find those guys that are are just going to absolutely jump out at you during the preseason. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Jordan Howard. Like, man, he was running way better than anybody in the preseason. Then the year after that, it was Tariq Cohen. Like, man, look at this kid go. And then you know there was there's always a player that kind of sticks out that you didn't expect to see anything from. And he becomes kind of the star of the of the preseason. Those guys don't always make the team. Like last year, it was Javon Wims that was kind of like the superstar uh, of preseason and the one that made like the biggest impact and such. But on the days that I mean, if he was active, he didn't play very much, if at all, uh, last season. So, but that's a guy that's been, you know, t- trying to get his job, get a keep a job this year. I mean, which is crazy to say. Uh, with how well he performed when he had a chance, but that is going, it's like an embarrassment of riches as far as who we're going to keep. And, and like you said, how many do we keep? Do we go light on running backs to keep an extra receiver or do we only carry three tight ends to keep an extra running back and, and things like that. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see how Ryan Pace puts this team together. Yeah. And the, the, the disadvantage for a lot of those young guys is just, I mean, that they're unknown and that they are young. And even if they're intriguing and exciting, it's its a lot easier to stash somebody like that on the practice squad than, say, Javon Wims, who at least you know came on in week 16 and 17 last year and kind of showed the rest of the NFL that he could at least catch some balls and make some plays. Whereas, you know, if it's Emmanuel Hall, for example, then even if he outplays, you know, Wims or Marvin Hall in the preseason – you, know, you can't stash Marvin Hall in the practice squad, and, and Wims likely get picked up by another team. So there's dynamics that go into this even outside of just on-field performance when you talk about roster construction. Right. So looking forward to, before we get into the into the schedule here, kind of looking at some of the, the storylines. I mean, obviously there are some that are just as, uh, as clear as the nose on your face, and Trubisky being chief among them. Will, will he progress? Will he continue? to progress. I mean everything in OTAs is sunshine sunshine and rainbows, but the what I'm hearing out of OTAs I think is is definitely promising. Like those beat writers that you talked about before, Trubisky's definitely taken a step forward. Um they absolutely loved David Montgomery. That was the other thing that I was mentioning before was that, you know, and I listened to the to the uh Adam Hogan and John's uh podcast and these are guys that get to go to OTA practices and such. And he's saying that, that the the way that he pops and, and plays, and granted there are no pads or anything like that, so there's a lot missing there, but he kind of jumps off the page at you the way that kind of Tariq Cohen did or other guys in the past that kind of you know perked your eyes up in, this, in these practices to make you think that um, we might have something here. He and Red, Ridley Ridley and Duke Shelley – right off the bat in those OTA practices or guys making marks early on. Yeah, and you know, like you kind of said, you don't want to put too much stock into it, but at the same time, it's an important box to check. Right. That these players, if they're going to be you know, talented, early contributing rookies, then they, you know, they should be standing out. And I think 
you know, if if there was somebody who, even if the reports weren't negative, but they just weren't positive either, and it was just sort of like, you know, we didn't hear much about, you know, even Cordero Patterson, for example. I mean, Patterson's an established veteran. You know, kind of know what you're going to get. But, you know, those kind of guys, maybe Kareth White Jr., it's not fair to just totally say, well, this we didn't hear anything about this seventh-round pick, so he's no good. But you know, if it wasn't, you know, there's not really a, a great example on this team right now. But it, it is, it's, a, it's an important box to check, and it would be notable more so if they weren't checking it and weren't standing out, at least physically, in these types of non-game situations where, in theory, if you're you know, a, a top athlete and a, a ready-to-contribute rookie, you should be able to look natural when there's no pressure and, and no tackling and you don't have to know every intricacy of the offense just yet. Right, and, and I think out of those three guys, I find it more intriguing that Duke Shelley is making quote-unquote headlines, mm -hmm. uh, if you will, because OTAs, there's no contact, there's no tackling. So as far as highlights, it's going to be very heavy on the offensive side. Uh, as far, you know, we're not tackling the running back, we're just doing like two-hand touch uh, kind of thing and, and so on. But to hear that a defensive guy like Duke Shelley is all over the place and he's already making an argument to crack the lineup coming out of OTAs and everything, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, and I think it's a reflection of the type of human beings that, that Ryan Pace tends to pick in the draft and even in free agency to some extent. But, you know, the types of football players, the guys who give 100 percent at practice and the guys who are, you know, natural football players, kind of like we were talking about, the guys that have sort of that character and can come in and work harder than anybody else. And, and all of those sort of a lot of them ultimately end up being cliches, but you can tell when they're true and, and when they're not true. And it seems like with at least those three guys that have stood out in OTAs, you can really see evidence of, of who they are as players and people. Right. So going back to what I mentioned initially, the progress of Mitch Trubisky, it's not so much that people are saying he's made progress. It's kind of almost like how they're saying it, like the words that they're using and, you know, that he's definitely like, uh, what was it, that Nagy kept saying it was, it was all 101 last year. Well, we're definitely 200 level for sure. Mm -hmm. Now he, he, you know, the way that he's controlling the offense and uh, the choices that he's making, so on and so forth. It's it's what they're saying, not so much, uh, you know, the, that they're saying something because obviously they have to tell us something. But uh, it's it's interesting. But did you ever think that we would ever go into a season in the last several years since he's been on the team, where when we talk about the offensive line, Kyle Long is the biggest question mark on it? Yeah, that's a weird. It's a weird feeling, but at least to some extent, the the questions are not necessarily can Kyle Long play at right. a high level, but just can he stay on the field, right? So, I mean, it's it's a luxury to kind of be at that position where, okay, the, the former Pro Bowl or the, the veteran leader of that position group is the one that we're just not totally 100% sure you can rely on, but when he's healthy... When he's on the field, you know you know what you're getting there, and you know you're pretty solid at that position. But it, it is a very legitimate question of okay, how much and how many games are we going to get from Kyle Long? Yeah, because we only got about eight out of him last year, and I think that includes the playoff game. And you know, obviously, the year 2017, 2016, both years were cut short by various other injuries uh, as well, and. I mean, clearly, I, I, I still believe he's the best offensive lineman that we got, but that doesn't do us any good when he's on the sidelines for eight games with a boot on his broken foot or, or, or anything like that. So 
it, it's almost a good thing that the injury happened when it did, so he was healthy at the end of the season. Therefore, there's no rehab or surgery or cleanup or anything that needed to be done during the offseason. He was able to actually have a full-blown offseason as a healthy player for the first time since maybe 2015. <laughs> yeah, which is an issue. That, I mean, that's, that's a whole other issue, but you're right 100% that, that the timing of that compared to you know Trey Burton and even Eddie yeah. Jackson and and now I guess Emmanuel Hall not not exactly the same but the, Kyle Long finally a little bit more on the fortunate side you know if he's going to get injured that was that was the best way to do it as far as 2019 is concerned yes it it I think that as far as this season is concerned it was better that he was hurt in season healthy at the end of it so that he could go through a regular off season as opposed to having to take a trip to Birmingham Alabama to have Andrews put his shoulder back together for him or anything. Uh, like that, he was able to go through a regular off season, which he hadn't been able to do since about his second or third year in the league. So, I've, uh, as far as 2019 goes, I think the timing of that injury was was best for this, uh, you know, for this season. So, you know, looking at the at this team, uh, Lauren, that's your name, Lauren. There it <laughs> is. I had like four different names just flood into my head all of a sudden. It's like, and those none of those are right. But um, <laughs> looking at this team, we've talked a lot about the offense. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest question mark on the offense, you know, is the offensive line and can it stay healthy? And if we can't, the depth that we have behind it, I think that's the biggest worry spot on on the offense. Because I think we're, we're good at the skill positions. Tight end, kind of a little uh, worrisome. You know, Trey Burton coming back, still waiting for Adam Shaheen to appear uh, what's going to be the role of um, offensive lineman? Bradley no. Soul. Thank you. Bradley Soul. What the hell is wrong with me today? Good God. I did not eat my Wheaties. I don't know if that's what the problem is. But, uh, you know, Bradley Soul switching to tight end. How significant is that? Is that just going to be, a you know, another, like, goal line type guy? Or are they literally going to try to make that guy uh, a tight end? And then, like you said, the four undrafted tight ends that we signed, will any of them make the team? So, Looking at the offense, you know, kind of run down what you think some of the bigger concerns are, storylines that we need to keep an eye on, position battles, that kind of thing. Yeah, concerns are you know, almost too strong of a word for any of the positions. I think it is more, I mean, there's there's depth and, you know, injury concern maybe at offensive line, but concern is relatively small. It's just more a storyline and something to keep an eye on. And same with tight end. It's like, it's, it's something to keep an eye on, but there's there's a there's a very clear path to things being just fine and and in all likelihood they will be just fine. So it's you know it's that it's it's the running back rotation where it's not a concern. It's just a question of you know how is that going to play out? You know will David Montgomery be the lead back by week one or will Mike Davis start start with kind of the majority of the carries and then as David Montgomery gets going, you know how will that transition go and where will Tariq Cohen plug in as far as how often he's going to be in the backfield this year compared to last year and you know, at wide receiver, it's just how are you going to find enough passes to go around all these guys? I mean, Robinson, yeah. Gabriel, Miller, Ridley are all going to have offensive roles. Patterson is going to be more of a jack-of-all-trades here. So then does Javon Wim spend a whole other season on the bench? Does Marvin Hall even have a place on the roster? And Are we going to see, you know, does that mean fewer snaps for Allen Robinson if you're going to get four wide receivers in the offense or fewer snaps for Taylor Gabriel? You know, then Anthony Miller, you want him to play more than he did last year, and he'll be healthier in theory, so... It's it's a bunch. It's a lot of good problems. It's not a lot of like serious issues. It's a lot of like okay, we have so many good players that we have to decide through. How are we as a coaching staff, 
gonna gonna be able to figure that out and but best maximize the the guys that we do have because there's there's a lot to go around. Yeah, and and just looking at the team uh, in general, I think the you know more question marks around the offense because between the two units, offense and defense, obviously the offense has a lot more room for improvement. It's not going to be very easy to do better than the number one defense in the league. Uh, for a second time I mean repeating that is going to be very very uh, difficult but I don't think anyone has an issue about what the Bears are capable of on the defensive side on the offensive side however it's you know it starts with Mitch and 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 whether or not he will progress will he be able to hit some of those throws that he keeps missing and or kept missing but yet somehow he's one of the more clutch guys in the fourth quarter kind of thing so Let's talk about Mitch for a second. I mean, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Brett Coleman, does these videos on on YouTube. And Mitch Trubisky is going to be the subject of his next one. That's what he's been saying uh, on Twitter. And his comments about Trubisky as he goes through the tape have been all over the place. Whether, like, man, this guy you know, is, is really dialed in in the fourth quarter. And then there's some times where he's sitting there. Maybe you thought it was a footwork thing. But, no, his footwork is fine. And yet somehow he missed a wide-open Anthony Miller uh, kind of thing you know it was like looking at 2018 he was absolutely all over the place uh, at times he he didn't really have any kind of consistency that he that he put together and yet he still made enough strides for well for me on the other hand to be a believer that he is on the right path to be successful uh, in 2019 where do you kind of sit on Mitch right now it's it's the ultimate unknown right so I, right. I I'm trying not to be too I don't, I don't want to just hedge the whole thing but also i don't want to be too definitive about it either because no one really knows at this point what exactly is going to happen but to, to me i think you're never going to completely iron out all the inconsistencies and i think being able to be more confident in the offense and and in his connection with his receivers kind of having a whole year with everybody not only the system but the, the players themselves that and also, you know, a full off season of Allen Robinson not being sidelined with injury, and a full off season with Anthony Miller not coming in just after the draft and having to learn his offense there as well. I think that will be able to mitigate some of some of the inconsistency. Like like I said, you, you quarterbacks don't usually just magically fix footwork issues to just be completely normal. They improve, but they're not just going to completely go away. And but but we see for the most part a, a decision. A, Decent decision making, you know, average to above average decision making. Obviously, the arm is is fine and the the mobility is great, and we're seeing that pocket presence get better. But be, I think you know we saw the steady improvement from last season, and I think I I would just kind of project a similar trend this season. I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to make this MVP level jump, but I think you know he'll start close to kind of where he was last year and sort of progress, I think, at a similar rate to last year. So by the end of the season, you're getting much more higher-level quarterback play, but it's not necessarily this elite quarterback play, but it's good enough quarterback play to help you win some football games. Yeah, and and the thing that I've always kind of noticed uh, about Mitch is that aside from his trouble with uh, inconsistencies, he's he's not really a guy that's going to make the same, same mistake twice. He, he doesn't really come across as as somebody kind of like a Jay Cutler who's going to keep throwing it to the same guy over and over again despite how he's being covered just because that's where I want to go uh with the ball and you know Mitch just seems like the kind of guy that that is learning from his mistakes so that at the he will make that mistake less and less until he's not making it uh anymore 
uh, kind of thing. And, and that's what what um, detailed the progress that he had uh, last season. He was much better at the end of it than he was at the start of it. The, that last drive against the Eagles before the missed field goal, I think, being a perfect example. That is exactly what we needed from him in that moment. And he put us in a spot to, to, to give us a chance to to win the game. Would he have been able to do that in the beginning of 2018? I don't think so. Yeah, and even within that game, you kind of see the both sides of Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, the, the yeah. finish was phenomenal, but I think in the first half, there were two or three dropped interceptions, one in the end zone and mm-hmm. one dump off to Jordan Howard and, you know, j- just bad throws that had they gone the other way would have really drastically changed the outcome of the game. But at the same time, in the most important moments, in the the best, some of the best quarterback play we saw from Trubisky, probably outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game all season. Right. I mean, that's that's what gives you the the optimism and the hope and the, sort of the projecting forward. But at the same time, it also you also see people that are against Mitchell Trubisky kind of point to well, yes, that was that was one good drive at the end of the game, but there were also you know these X examples of earlier in the game when when he wasn't at that level. So how, how often are you going to get that last drive of the game, Mitchell Trubisky? And, you know, the fact that the fact that you're seeing it and, and that those flashes seem to be more frequent and, and even higher quality as the season goes on, at least shows you that we're going in the right direction here. Yeah. And, and the other thing was, I, I kind of felt like that game against Philly encapsulated his season. You know, he, he had those wild inconsistencies. He had the bad throws. And then in the second half, he was lasered in, and he was better than Nick Foles. You know, as as far like statistically, he was better than Foles. And in in with that drive uh, there at the end, he answered Nick Foles because Foles drove him down, drove his team down, got him in the end zone to put him ahead. Mitch came right back against you know Magic Man and was able to put us in a position to win the game. And unfortunately, we were employing Cody Parkey at the time, so that's why it didn't work out. But you know, it, it just, uh, I, I felt like that game itself kind of encapsulated the year uh, in, in review for, for Trubisky. Yeah, I think that's well put. And I know we weren't going to, we weren't going to try and go back over too much. <laughs> so I don't want to belabor it too much, but I, I'm, I think I'm with you there a hundred percent. There's a, a very much a, a microcosm of the year. Yeah. So now we switch over and we, and we look at the defense. And as we mentioned before, a lot fewer question marks on this side, but it was the side of the ball where we had some holes to, to fill, if you will. Not big holes, but holes nonetheless. Replacing Amos, replacing uh, Bryce Callahan. And we talked about who we brought in there. We have the new defensive coordinator and in Chuck Pagano, but he and Vic Fangio kind of learned in the same place, so the differences aren't going to be that much. If anything, we're going to be a bit more aggressive uh, than Fangio liked to be with blitzing and things like that uh, under uh, Pagano. This is a unit that's just ready to go, as far as I'm concerned. It's like Khalil Mack, full full off season because he had no off season, literally none last year. No OTAs, no training camp, no nothing. The Bears signed and traded for him. He's on the field eight days later against Green Bay. Same thing with Roquan Smith. No holdout over contract language for God knows how many days before he finally gets you know on the field. Did he play at all in the preseason last year? Khalil Mack. No, no, uh, Roquan. Roquan Smith? No, 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 he didn't. Because I know that he signed like right before we played Denver, so he didn't play that game. And I and nobody played, uh, nobody of note anyway, played in the Kansas City uh, game. But um, I was like, I don't think he played at all in the preseason. No, his his first snaps were Green Bay. Yeah, and his very first snap was a sack on uh, Aaron Rodgers, so that was interesting. He had been waiting a little bit for that one. I yeah, think. yeah, he kind of came in kind of hot on that one. Speaking of which, 
just to kind of go off the rails a little bit, have you seen that video of Luke Keekley with that kid in like the little football camp? Have you they seen that? him down after he moved. Oh, yeah. so funny. So funny. He came in hot on that second one. Saw that kid's <laughs> life flash before his eyes before Keekley came in there and got him. I just thought that was hilarious. So uh, anyway, um, but yeah, so I mean, looking at the defensive side, you know, aside from the transition from from one coordinator to uh, the other, do you have any you know big concerns or anything with the defensive side of the ball outside of the? I mean, because I, I honestly only think that the the only thing that can hurt this defense is injuries. Aside from that, I think if everybody's healthy like they were for the majority of last season, this unit's ready to roll. The only thing, again, I won't, I won't use the word concern, but it's just more the question mark or the storyline for me is the exact dynamic with Eddie Jackson and HaHa Clinton Dix. And, sure. and not that there's I – I don't necessarily envision like a, a bad scenario, but it's just how, how will they both be used given they're both similar style safeties. They're both at their best when they're in the deep half or deep middle of the field and kind of being able to see the whole play in front of them and read the quarterback's eyes and – use their range to just attack sort of almost, I guess, yeah, downhill for the most part when, when things are happening in front of them. And you can't just play two deep safeties coverages on every single snap. You need to have, you know, a lot of times they'll bring somebody up in the box to at least show numbers for the running game. And, uh, you know, Adrian Amos, especially in this defense last year, playing a lot more underneath coverage. So if Chuck Pagano wants to just do, you know, as much the same as Vic Fangio did, then one of those two safeties will have to play a little bit more of that underneath coverage than perhaps they're used to and perhaps they're best suited for. So it's not, again, not, I wouldn't say it's a concern. It's not going to derail this defense or anything, but it's just, it's a question mark that's, that still needs to be answered and will likely kind of have varying answers throughout the season. Yeah, and I think the other big question mark is, um, I think, Leonard Floyd and or whoever the other guy on the other side of Khalil Mack is going to mm-hmm. be. Will they be able to bring enough to the table so that Khalil Mack can still be Khalil Mack? I mean, he's one of those special players that he's going to do that regardless, but is the guy on the other side going to make it any easier for him? Yeah, and, and some of that can be Chuck Pagano doing different things to create different matchups for his pass rushers. And one of the things that he does is you know, shifting guys a lot pre-snap after the offense gets into their protections and kind of makes their calls, you know, depending on how many seconds left on the play clock, they'll make a shift at the last minute and the defensive line will move over and the linebackers will rotate or for whatever reason and, and just try and throw different looks at the offense. So, you know, can Chuck Pagano do those kind of things if they're not getting enough pass rush from other pass rushers individually? You know, that that's sort of what one of those kind of changes from Vic Fangio that maybe we could see more creativity in that regard. Yeah, so like we said before, the, the – the offense definitely is a unit that, that has room for improvement, especially statistically, because I don't think they ranked very high last year, maybe middle of the road at best. Something I think they were just slightly below. Yeah, like 19 or something like that, maybe 18, 19, something uh, like that. Around there. Yeah, and then, you know, depending on who you talk to, the number one defense in the NFL or at least the top two, top three uh, unit, that's going to be difficult to – uh, duplicate but we have the horses in place to uh to make it possible so you know the, not a lot of um yeah you hate to use the word concerns but not a lot of concerns on the defensive side or or you know possibilities as as there would be on the offensive uh side so and brief, <laughs> well i mean i was going to say briefly about special teams you know 
What do you think about the kicker situation? I mean, John Fox, that idiot, went on ESPN and told the world that the Bears had the worst offense offseason in football because we haven't solved the kicker problem, even though he was part of the regime that fired the kicker that we had at the time. But, you know, obviously we're three years later, so it's not all his fault that we still haven't figured it out. But because we don't have a kicker yet or we don't know who it is or who it's going to be, John Fox thinks we had the worst offseason in football. It's still a lingering question going into training camp, arguably the biggest question going into training camp. Who is the kicker going to be just because it was our downfall in 2018? Yeah, and I – I don't necessarily know that that we're going to see a consistent kicking option come out of training camp and maybe not even the preseason. I mean, I would expect another kicker to come to Chicago at some point before the regular season starts. And even then, I'm I'm not confident that they're going to find somebody who's super, super solid for all 17 games or all 17 weeks, 16 games. But at the same time, I'm not overly concerned that the kicker would derail at least their regular season success that even, right. you know, even in the seasons, you know, even Cody Parkey last year with the missed field goals he had and missed extra points, you know, the Bears still went 12 and four. And I, even I think back to the the season, they cut Robbie gold and they had Connor Barth and Roberto Aguayo came through and Cairo Santos and uh, Mike Nugent finished it out. I mean, as much as the kicker was an issue there and they couldn't hit field goals to save their life, that wasn't the reason they were, three and 13 or five and 11, whichever, whatever they were that year was not because they couldn't hit field goals. There were a lot of other issues. So, you know, the amount of impact the kicker has on the final regular season win loss total. And I'm, if if this offense and defense are playing at the level that they are expected to, I don't, I don't think a bad kicker is going to derail anything that way. But the question becomes, if you get to the end of a playoff game, when you need a game winning field goal, we're right back to kind of where we started in January. Right, I, I, and I agree with you. I think as far as the regular season is concerned, the, the, the impact that the kicker is going to have might help with uh, help or hurt with uh, covering the spread or something like that as opposed to wins and losses uh, for the Bears. I mean, that, that Lions game at home being a perfect example. The Bears won that game going away, and if Parkey hits the field goals that he doinked off the – uprights we add like another 11 points to the total so instead of it being like 30 to 22 it's more like 42 to 22 uh in that game against uh against detroit it made the game look closer than it actually was because parky had the day that he did yeah exactly it's 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 not uh it, it it just doesn't move the needle until it really moves the needle right exactly it's not a problem until it's a problem so uh, it's, uh, that's, uh, but it's, it's the thing that it's, it's an old problem. So therefore it would be kind of looked upon as a lingering one. So even if whoever the kicker is comes out and misses a kick week one against green Bay, it's going to be, here we go again. Not like, Oh wow. The bears have trouble with kicker. Yeah. And you know, if the bears miss a kick against green Bay in week one and, and lose the game, this storyline will be, you know, Cody Parkey 2.0 or whatever, but it probably should be well, you know, what else did they not do to win or you know to not win that game or what else, you know what what else went wrong to the point of where you had to rely on that kicker again in that game because that's again I think what we come back to with the Eagles game yeah, as well I was just going to say that I I think in all fairness to Cody Parkey he missed the kick that we needed him to make but it's not his fault that we lost the game we there were other opportunities the Bears had in the game to uh to win 
to me, I don't really even look at the missing the, the two-pointer or anything like that. What made me absolutely sick to my stomach when I looked at the, at the, um, the stats for that game were that the Bears had those three penalties on that touchdown drive for Philadelphia. Yeah, and we had three penalties for the game. <laughs> Those were the only penalties we had the entire game, and it ended up being, you know, that touchdown drive. We basically gifted it to them uh, there in the uh, in the third quarters. Like that, that to me is is why we lost the game because we got sloppy on defense for that one drive. Amos with the with the bad hit that Late. extended the drive, and you know the pass interference on Amukamara and and stuff like that. That's that's where I think the most damage was done in that game. Yeah, they're. There's a lot of things you can point to there, and and Cody Parkey just happened to be the last one. Yeah, because he made. Oh God! And then he went on the Today Show. Don't even get me started. Anyway, looking ahead to to 2019, we we briefly touched upon uh, how the season starts and what a poetic way for it to to kick off. Not only the 100th season of Chicago Bear football, but 100 years of the NFL with Thursday night at home against the Green Bay Packers and. You know, as much as I love the fact the Bears are starting at home, I think it would have been more poetic to start in Lambeau just because that's the more, you know, storied uh, stadium, if you will. I mean, Soldier Field's been around, I think, just as long as Lambeau Field, but not this Lamb or not this Soldier Field. The one with the columns and, you know, the one that they won the, the Super Bowl in in 85, I think would probably be a more appropriate setting for this for this game. Well, and, and Lambeau's gotten some upgrades, too. So True. I mean, I mean, it it feels even more modern, I think, in Lambeau than it does in Soldier Field. But regardless, the the important thing is that it's these two guys, these two teams on the first game Thursday night, prime time rematch of last year's Week One with you know the the miraculous Aaron Rodgers comeback, and of course the Bears coming off of ha- having the last laugh last season. Now you get to start in prime time at home. I mean, it's it's it, it was rumored for a little while leading up to it, but it, it's just too perfect to have not started the season the 100th season with these two teams in that situation on that day you know with with everything leading up to it following the 100 year celebration and all that stuff it's yeah it's straight out of a movie i think i agree i I think there there was no better way that the nfl could have have done this than to start with you know two of the oldest franchises if not the oldest franchises still in existence anyway and to to start there uh, in chicago with green bay and uh on thursday night with the the whole world watching i can't wait to see it then we get to see Vic Fangio up close and personal in Denver, week number two. Uh, that should be interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't really know what to think about the Broncos. Like, I mean, obviously we we think that there's going to be a little more oomph to the defense because of the guy that's going to be running it. But like you mentioned before, we got Flacco. Uh, will Philip Lindsay be ready to go by week two with the injury that he suffered with the ACL uh, and everything? Will he even be playing in this game against? Chicago there are a lot more question marks on the offensive side of the ball for them than on defense by a long shot so I don't know if this is going to be the contest that people want it to be uh considering the you know the versus matchup we got going on yeah you wonder if you know maybe Vic Fangio will have an you know a better idea of you know the Bears offensive strengths and weaknesses and be able to attack that a little bit more than maybe we think but at the same time you know the Bears offense will be able to uh pretty well know what they're going up against with the with the Broncos defense and I would trust the uh the the, the Bears offense on against the the Broncos defense a little bit more than I would trust the Broncos offense 
against this Bears defense. Now, that one seems like a, a, a not, I'm not going to say an easy one for Chicago, but compared to some of the other opponents on the schedule, this is uh, a lower concern. Correct. Um, then we got our second national TV game, Monday night, week three, at the Redskins. And I think the more intriguing storyline there is uh, who the quarterback is going to be. Will it be Haskins? Will it still be Case Keenum? You know, that kind of thing. Will Jay Gruden still have a job? Because it's, it's kind of up in the air with, uh, with, uh, with Gruden in Washington, especially according to my Washington guy that I had on the show. So then week four against a home game against the uh, Vikings, and this is a special uniform game. I don't know if it's the first one with the throwbacks or the first one wearing the orange jerseys. You know how I feel about that. That's the only way I'm talking about it. But, um, you know, it's it's uh, an early matchup between the Vikings. Because, like, at first, like, we had Green Bay last year, and then we didn't play another division game till like, week 10 or something last season. And four we got, now. you know, we got week four now with uh, with, with Minnesota uh, coming to Chicago. Yeah, and the Vikings are one of those teams that it's just like, and after how disappointing they were last year, like, are they going to be able to bounce back to some level of, contending for the division or are they just gonna stick down kind of where they were and be that sort of you know habitually underachieving team but I still come back to sort of the development of their offensive line and, and the way that this Bears defense can can chew on that I mean Adam Diggs and Stefan Diggs or Adam Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs I was combining their names there and they're, they're gonna do some damage that they're always gonna do some damage and that Vikings defense is, is always gonna give you some trouble but Anytime you put uh, an offensive line in progress in front of Khalil Mack, things don't usually go well for that offensive line in progress. Agreed. I mean, I just had my Vikings guy on the show. That was the last show before this one. And I did ask him about Week 17. I was like, seriously, bro, what happened on Week 17? Because this was a team that was playing for its season. It's playing to, to go to the playoffs and this was a home game where the Vikings always win against the Bears regardless uh, of the of the way the teams are playing Minnesota always wins in Minnesota Chicago always wins in Chicago with, with this rivalry anyway and it was almost like the Vikings never showed up and then like you mentioned the offensive line when the game was was no longer in question we're up two touchdowns five minutes to go Maggie starts entering the em- emptying the benches and Isaiah Irving and Kylie Fitz are teeing off on this starting offensive line and, you know, knocking uh, Kirk Cousins around. It's like, dude, this is how you're going to finish the season, getting banged around by our second and third team guys. The offensive line was a huge problem for them, and it's his biggest concern going into 2019. And you wonder if any of that will linger for the Vikings. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a, a real storyline, but maybe once you get to week four, if if some of that pops back up of just how – I mean, embarrassing might be a strong word, but just like like you, I mean, like you said, the, the Bears kind of doing whatever they wanted, yeah. and that, that should be embarrassing for the Vikings. But it, I don't know. I guess maybe just from my perspective, it didn't. I didn't get that impression that it was, even though it probably should have been. But does does that pop back up and and make this a little bit more heated than it would be otherwise? We'll see. It'll be fun either way. Yeah, I, I think I, it's a good it's a good question because it's not like. The offense took advantage and just kept running up the score and putting points uh, on the board. Instead, it was just like, if you're going to pass, we're going to rush you, and it's up to your offensive line to protect you, and they can't. So it's not like the Bears are doing anything out, outlandish or 
you know, getting crazy with the tackles or, or you know, bragging in anybody's face or anything like that. They were just flat out kicking their ass in, in, in the fourth quarter when the game was already over. So uh, it's, it's interesting how they might look at that if they, if they use that as a resource to kind of motivate themselves for that uh, first matchup week number four. So week five is interesting because it's – and I'm disappointed that this one is in the U.K. I really wanted to see how Khalil Mack would be received in Oakland. Like, would they treat him like a villain? Because he, he never really wanted to leave Oakland. He just wanted to get paid in Oakland. And instead, John Gruden ships him away, and they begin this, this rebuilding thing. I really wanted to see how he would, he would be received. Would he get an ovation? Would they boo him for leaving or anything like that? But instead, we have to go across the pond and uh, see the Bears and the Raiders uh, in Tottenham Stadium. I've been coached on how to say that. <laughs> and um, it's actually also, intriguingly enough, the first noon game of the season. It's like Green Bay is obviously Thursday night. Denver is a 3 o'clock game. Washington's Monday night. And then I think even Minnesota is like a 3 o'clock game on CBS or something like that. So we don't play a noon regular kickoff game until week five, but we're across the pond uh, in the U.K. playing against the Raiders. And I agree about the uh, the intrigue with Mac there. I'd like to think he would get. I, th- I think Raiders fans are smart enough to. Uh, I get. I get the impression from Raiders fans that they're not worshiping John Gruden or anything just yet. <laughs> they were a little bit more upset about Gruden trading Mac than Mac holding out in the first place. So I, I think he would have done well there. But I, I don't know that uh, Oakland stands much of a chance based on what we've seen from them and and what we've seen from the Bears, whether it's in Oakland or England. Yeah, I think it's going to be Bearsland. Yeah, well, please, man. I, my my UK listeners are absolutely going over, you know, crazy over themselves. A trying to get tickets uh, to the game because the Bears are actually coming to town. But it's it's the Bears are going to travel well. They do in pretty much anywhere in the world that they go. But uh, it's I think we're going to see a lot more blue and orange than we will be seeing silver and black uh, out there uh, in the UK. So. Another early bye week, week six this year instead of week five from a year ago. And then those first three games coming off the bye, two of them are at home, but those are three tough football games. we got the Saints at home, the Chargers at home, and then on the road for our quote-unquote revenge game with Philly. We're not going to have time to mess around with the bye. we got to come out guns blazing right after the break. Yeah, the, a quick recovery from England, which is why the bye week needs to be right there. But it is an interesting dynamic that, you know, when you start out with Denver, Washington, and Oakland in those first five games, you know, you can kind of more or less pencil those in as Ws, and you'll get at least one, in theory, from Green Bay and Minnesota. So you, you could be 4-1 and one going into that bye week. But then you right. come out against three playoff teams, three, you know, come, you know, second round and beyond playoff teams, Saints, Chargers, Eagles. I mean, that's... That's the kind of stretch that will tell you how good this Bears team actually is. That that will that's when you will be truly answering the quote unquote regression question, especially yeah. when you talk about week nine in Philadelphia, you know, the rematch of the, the Cody Parkey game. How you know if how that one plays out. It's no I know it's not Nick Foles this time, it's Carson Wentz and you know Eddie Jackson in theory will be playing and and Trey Burton as well. So I mean there's gonna be differences, but you will know after that stretch if the Bears are a Super Bowl contender versus maybe just an NFC North contender or 
you know, where exactly they kind of fall with some of the best of the best. Because I, you can even expand it two more games and have the Rams once again, and that's that's Murderer's Row. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, because those three games coming off the bye that completes the first half of the season. Those that's where the first eight games end. There is with Philly, week number nine. Then you're home for Detroit, our first matchup, week ten, same as last year or week eleven, one of the two. And then we're at Saint at the Rams this time for Sunday night football. So a Sunday night football rematch, but on their turf instead of ours this time. Home for the Giants. So another revenge game. Only it's we're flopping locations uh, once again because God, that's a game I'd love to have back. That Giants game <laughs> because two of the most fluky interceptions I've ever seen in my. The, the Giants got the ball to bounce their way pretty much the entire football game. Those two interceptions, that crazy one that Daniel threw at the start of the game. That that one-handed grab that um, Ogletree made that would have been a touchdown to Tariq Cohen if it gets to him, the 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 the, the wide receiver touchdown pass uh, yeah. for the Giants, yeah, the, that where the Bears sell out on that two-point play and just murder Eli, but he gets it off to a wide-open Odell Beckham, and I mean everything that could go right for the Giants did, and that's why a three and eighteen beat an eight and three team. Uh, in there, I mean, the Bears made their they made their push and, and sent it to overtime, but in the end, it was just a few too many bounces to, for the Bears to overcome in that one. Yeah, so then you move ahead to like 2019, and you have the whole Daniel Jones thing, and right. the Giants really. I mean, that's going to be another one of those. Okay, how can Saquon Barkley beat the Bears by himself? Probably not. So as right. long as, as long as you don't have Chase Daniel starting in Chicago, <laughs> you, you should be okay there. And yeah, I think so. In Detroit and. You know, that's you. You get a little bit of a break after that post bye week stretch, right? So, but like you know, the Rams. That's going to be an exciting game uh, to play them in L.A. I'm very interested to see how the crowd turns out for that one because, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago, the Bears are one of the best traveling teams in the league. There are a lot of Bear fans in L.A., and I wonder how much of that Coliseum is going to be blue and orange. Yeah, there's there's only so many seats in there too, so yeah. It, you could, a small, a vocal, a, a vocal majority of Bears fans there, even if it's fifty-one percent. Yeah, it, that that can be that can be a home game for sure. For sure. Um, and then uh, we're at Detroit um, for Thanksgiving once again. The, the early eleven thirty start. Yay! Um, so another quick like eighty-plus hour turn. Well, let's just I'm you know I'm hoping that the Giants do suck this year so the Bears can play at noon as opposed to getting their game flexed to seven so they lose eight hours in that tiny, tiny window to get ready for the Thanksgiving game uh, this year. So I hope that game stays right where it's at and the Bears can get, you know, they're done at three instead of starting uh, at seven. I mean, I think that was our biggest concern going into that game, regardless of whether or not Chase Daniel started over Mitch to, to, to nurse that shoulder injury or whatever, was like, how's the team going to react to like an 83-hour window between games? Yeah, I don't know who at the NFL office kind of let that whole scheduling thing play out like that, but that that to me seems like you could file some kind of grievance for the yeah. Bears. Hey, don't you don't don't let that happen again. Yeah, that was almost careless that they did it uh, that way. Players but um, not not in favor there. Right, and then we do we do the back to back Thursday thing, Thursday against the Lions on Thanksgiving, and then come back on Thursday night at home against the Cowboys in our in our true Thursday night game. Um, interesting game because I'm wondering what the Cowboys are going to be this year. I mean, the NFC East traditionally and, and lately, you know, for the last couple of, well, almost two decades now, 
they don't repeat champions year after year. Those It hasn't happened, uh, according to my Eagles guys, since 2004 when the Eagles last did it. 2003, 2004, the last repeat champion in the NFC East. And this is week 14. This is the first weekend in December. This is going to be an important football game. Will it be important for Dallas as it will be, or we assume it will be for the Bears at this time of the year? Dallas is one of those teams where it just seems like everything that ha- I mean, and perhaps because of Jerry Jones wanting it this way, but everything that happens with them just seems to be such a bigger deal than it needs to be. Right. So it's like, will this Dak Prescott contract situation be a distraction if that's not figured out by the time they get into that season? And what's going to happen with Zeke Elliott's future contract? And then Jason Witten is coming back in there. Like there's even things that shouldn't be huge storylines or even be super negative storylines just kind of seem to build up that way. I mean, I think Dallas's defense is still a little bit underrated, but I'm curious to see how Kellen Moore does as their offensive coordinator. Right. And, you know, they added some more weapons too. I mean, there's there's a lot to like about Dallas, but in sort of the way that people don't give the Bears a lot of credit because they haven't sustained success, I, I think I feel similarly about Dallas. It's like, well, I guess can you know can you prove it? As much as there's a lot to like on paper with them, show it to me one more time and and let me see let me see it all really come together with this group, and then then I'll I'll give you credit. Right, yeah, and I kind of feel that way about Dallas uh, as well. They had that big, huge year in 2016, 13 and three, uh, you know, making waves and then losing the in the playoffs and come back. 2017 was a disaster, and then last year uh, they were almost kind of like the default uh, champion, just because Philly had its slow start, the struggle, the Super Bowl hangover, if you will. The team that was in first place for the first half of the year, Washington loses Alex Smith, and then the injuries just kind of murdered that team. And then the Giants being the Giants, the Cowboys were all that was left. I mean, the, the Eagles made their run at the, end, at the end of the the year, but it was basically the Cowboys' division to lose once the Washington Redskins kind of went down last year. And in, and in typical Cowboy fashion, I mean, it just it never actually – in typical as in recent Cowboys fashion, it just doesn't – it doesn't come together. I mean, it just, you know, they, they hit the playoffs and, you know, they beat the Seahawks in the first round, but then the Rams kind of reminded everybody of where where Dallas was and, and kind of their their limit, their, you know, their limitations from a talent standpoint. And it, they're just not a team that scares you, even though you can kind of look over the roster and like what you see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then the last three games of the season for our beloved Chicago Bears, two division games and a Super Bowl contender. At Green Bay for Week 15, so that should be interesting. Uh, home for the Sunday night finale, I believe, uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then, stop me if you've heard this before, Lauren, at Minnesota, Week number 17. So I know that uh, that, that might sound familiar considering it's happened five times in the last six years <laughs> and four years in a row now so i mean i wouldn't necessarily mind as much playing minnesota every year if we could like swap locations from time to time but it's in minnesota week 17 no matter what the last uh four years so i mean it's it's there are guys that are going to play their entire four-year rookie contract with the bears that end their season in minnesota every single time that's crazy yeah, Javon Wims, I'm sure, has that one circled on his calendar for again. She was like, oh, there's, there'll be my opportunity to, to get back in and get some snaps again for that one by the end of the year. But, you know, you, you wonder, you know, by the time the Bears get to that stretch, if depending on what Green Bay is doing, if that one's got some punches back and forth, and then Kansas City, you know, are they going to have much juice left in the tank for Minnesota? I mean, unless the Bears are truly actually fighting for 
you know, whatever their their playoff spot, then the, the intensity will be there. But, you know, if, if they already have the division kind of wrapped up and they're just playing for seeding at that point and, they're, you know, they're just coming off of that big prime time with the Chiefs. Yeah. There, there's there's a tra- – I, I don't know if, it, if you could call it a trap game possibility, but there's there's a, a possibility for at least a letdown there. Yeah, I can kind of foresee. Sure. Sure. I mean, week 17 is, is uh, definitely one of those ones that uh, – it's almost like a preseason game, especially for a team that could be that we anticipate the Bears will be in the spot that they'll be in. Similar to last year, the divisions wrapped up, and and for the most part, the seeding has been decided because the Forty ers were not going to beat the Rams last year. They weren't going to be able to help us out. But um, you know, it, there's not a whole lot for the Bears to play for, other than the fact that it's Week 17 and we're legally obligated to play the game. Uh, it could be one of those ones where the Vikings sneak out a win just because the Bears are looking ahead to the the wild card weekend, God forbid, or even uh, you know resting up for the for the bye because we've got home field for the first game at least. Or the possibility is that the Vikings just completely kind of fall out like they did last year, and we have Isaiah Irving getting sacks and Javon Williams catching touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was such an odd game. I kept waiting for the Vikings to show up, and they had like that little mad dash in the third quarter where they got it down to like a three-point lead, but the Bears came right back the very next drive, put a touchdown on the board, and that was it uh, after that. So the Vikings shot their shot, and that was it after that. It was like the Bears controlled virtually the rest of uh, the rest of the game, and I knew it wasn't a good sign when Jordan Howard, who hadn't had a big run all year, breaks one on the opening drive. It was like, this is not going to go well for Minnesota today. Yeah, you could kind of see the two different classes of the NFC North really take physical form. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. So let's look at our division real quick before we go here. We, we, we've got a lot of intriguing questions about the other teams in the division. I mean, Green Bay, obviously a new head coach. Um, will he be able to gel, which is what Mike McCarthy was not doing with Aaron Rodgers last year? I mean, I'm sure you read that article that was put out about how, you know, I don't think that uh, Rodgers ran a play that McCarthy called throughout the last year or so that they were together, if not more. He just kept changing the play because he didn't like it uh, kind of thing. Will, will that uh, carry over into this relationship with Matt LaFleur uh, and everything? Will they butt heads or will they work together, and how will that affect the team? The Vikings, like we talked about a moment ago, can can Kirk – because it kind of falls on Kirk Cousins. It was a stigma that carried with him in Washington, but they were the Redskins, so they kind of sucked anyway. So big deal if they can't beat the better teams. They're not a very good football team to begin with. He was supposed to be the missing piece in Minnesota that's going to take them from losing the NFC Championship game to, to winning the Super Bowl, and he was anything but. He didn't answer the call in any of the big games the Vikings were playing in last year. It just kind of leaves the Bears as the the team with the least question mark. Yeah, that you know, not that you know that, that not that Green Bay can't just storm out and be this dominant offense with Aaron Rodgers at his peak again, and then you know they they take the division or Minnesota puts it all together and Kirk Cousins plays like that missing piece and their defense is as good as it was, and 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 they you know every, those those two teams along with the Bears have a, a path and a possibility to a lot of success this season and and winning the division but it's it is the bears that i think have the easiest path in terms of the fewest obstacles to overcome internally to, to be able to I and mean, obviously the schedule is has its challenges in there as well but it it does i mean as the defending nfc north champions with pretty much the same team coming back it is their division to lose right till otherwise noted 
Yeah, I mean, and then when you look at the the Lions, it's year two under Patricia. They've got a brand new offensive uh, coordinator uh, out there. They lost some guys. Ziggy Ansah is is off, and uh, I think it's in Seattle now. That, you know, they've lost some pieces. They 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 had a fairly decent draft, or at least they believe they did. Uh, anyway, they're happy with the guys that they got and the pieces that they made. But the Lions are the Lions. I mean, they're either going to be good or they're not. They're a boomer bust kind of team. It almost seems like the years that they were successful, nobody really saw it coming. And the team, the years that we expect them to be successful, they're three and thirteen, five and eleven, and drafting the top ten uh, of the draft. So the, I think that you you got to watch out for the Lions because they're that team that can sneak up on you. It wouldn't be a surprise if Green Bay or Minnesota reemerged, uh, if you will. But I, you know, if if the Lions were 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 wreaking havoc or whatever, I think that would kind of catch people off guard. There, there's always that that opportunity, but they're they're kind of like the they, they feel a little bit like the again the Bears of the 2010s, the, the Jake <laughs> Bears, where it's like you see it there, and it's like oh, if this is the year that Matthew Stafford, you know, puts it all together in in his new offensive coordinator, you know, with uh, some of the same reasoning behind that but their defense has some real question marks and yeah. um i'm they're not going to be the worst team in the league but they might be the worst team in the nfc north again sure sure so but yeah like i said you got to keep your eyes on those guys just because you, you never see them coming the year that they have those successes like well they, they've always kind of had talented teams but never really been able to to put it together and then one year they do and then the next year they go back come back down to reality again uh kind of thing so that's what you got to watch for the Lions, and plus the Lions always play the Bears tough, so it's it's uh, they could be more of a nuisance than a problem, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like, for us this year, you like you can't sleep on them in any one game, but you can kind of sleep on them for the whole season. Right. <laughs> well put, well put. So there you have it, Lauren. Looking forward to 2019. I mean, I think I've mentioned this to you, and I've said it till I'm blue in the face on this show about how I've been looking forward to 2019 since the start of 2018, just because of all the things you mentioned earlier. It's year number two in the system. It's year number two with with Mitch and all of these new offensive weapons that he has. It's we got full OTAs and, and training camps for Khalil Mack and for Roquan Smith. We got guys healthy like Kyle Long had a healthy offseason as opposed to putting his broken body back together during the offseason and losing most of it just healing up. Uh, and things like that. There's a lot of things that have, you know, like the arrows pointing up with this team, and, and I can't wait to see them pull it off this year. Yeah, it's there hasn't been, I, I think, as nearly this much, not only this much optimism, but also justified optimism. And then that's, that's, yes. that is the key difference there. It's not just, you know, Bears are going to go 16-0 and every season because they're the best team, but, like, legitimately, like, there, there is reason, real reason to, to see this team as a Super Bowl contender. I mean, you can really you see that path. It's, it's not out of the question. It's there's a fairly direct way to get there, and it's just a matter of everybody performing to the level that we've seen them perform to. And if, if they do that, and they do what they're supposed to do, this is this will be a special season. Yeah, sky's definitely the limit uh, with this team, and and hopefully the sky takes us to South Florida in February to. Uh, to get a shot at that, bringing that Lombardi back home. So that would be, uh, that would be something else for, especially for it to happen this year. It's like the Super Bowl is on Papa Bear's birthday. It's the 34th season since we won a Super Bowl, AKA Walter Payton, that whole numerology thing and the hundredth season of Bears football and 
uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of like all lining up for this to be the perfect year for the Bears to finally do something. Yeah, the, the stars are all aligned. But That's we'll true. See, we'll see where they're where they're pointing to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm overjoyed, and I'm frightened to the core to, to, to watch it all unfold. Is it going to go the way that we want it to? Or are we going to be looking at the end of the season and be like, are you and I going to be talking in January? Like, dude, what the hell happened? You know, it's like, that the, is that the conversation we're going to be happening? Or just like, holy crap, dude, we just won the Super Bowl. How awesome is this? You know, kind of thing. So anything in between there could be possible because it is the NFL. So uh, I can't wait for it to get started. Number one, because I hate summer and I can't wait for this weather to go away. And, and just because it's football and I can't wait for that to get started again. You can almost smell it in the air. You know, we're, we're getting so much closer and hopefully uh, hopefully the podcast helps us at least get just a little taste of it. You know, yeah. a little bit of that oasis in the summer to, to get us through because we're almost there. We've almost made it. We almost made it, dude. And, and believe me, these shows that I've been doing have helped me get this far. And I've got a little bit more work to do before we get to the preseason games and a little more work to do before we get to the regular season and then we can sit back and relax and just watch it unhappen. Watch it all happen, I should say. So, yeah, we're almost there. So, but uh, as usual, it's been uh, it's been great having you on once again. Uh, we look forward to having you on uh, traditionally during the bye week, which this year is week six. So that'll be the next time I plan on having you back on. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Yeah, you can find all my stuff on Twitter at Cox Sports and the number one. It's like Fox Sports 1, but with a C. You can hear me on the Lockdown Bears podcast and, and read my Bears work on NBC Sports Chicago and Bears Wire. And there you have it, Lauren Cox. Thanks so much, man. It's been, uh, it's been great. And uh, looking forward to, to, to seeing how it all goes down. Hey, anytime. I'll be watching it just as eagerly as you are. I bet. Remember, guys, promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek and promo code BEARS100 to get that 50% deposit bonus on my bookie. want to thank my guest, Lauren Cox. Always have a great time talking Bears uh, with him on the show. Be sure to check out his podcast, Locked on Bears. It's one of the better Bears podcasts out there. Lauren definitely knows his stuff, as we've just proven in our 90-plus-minute conversation uh, about our beloved Chicago Bears. And um, it's, uh, I'm super excited about 2019. I'm, I can't wait to, to watch it all unravel uh, before us because I, I really do believe there's just the feeling. And you guys know how I am with my gut feelings. I, just, I have a feeling that there's greatness ahead for us uh, this year. I really do feel like we're going to be the happiest ones the day after that first Sunday in February. I, I really do. I just, I just have a feeling about it that uh, this is going to be that special year that uh, we've all been waiting for. For those of you who've been around since before 85, that uh, this, this is going to be the time we get to hoist the trophy again. I really do feel that way. So, um, yeah, even after that conversation uh, with Lauren raising concerns and, and things like that, I still su- feel super awesome about this team and that uh, – 2019 is going to go just the way we want it to. I really believe that. So, uh, yeah, call it drinking the Kool-Aid. I just call it 
I can't see a way. I can't see it going another way right now. I, I just can't. So maybe that's rose-colored glasses, and I'm being blind to the possibilities or whatever. But I really do think it's all going to work out uh, this year. So anyway, guys, that is going to do it for our opponent preview series: fourteen up, fourteen down. And now we are in the home stretch of home stretches. The last few weeks before training camps, uh, before yeah, before training camp starts, before the preseason gets underway. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to do one episode a week. Uh, we're going to have a special guest on all four of those shows. As I said before, uh, Adam Rank will be the first of those next week. Uh, I'll be talking to him Monday night. That show will drop first thing uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, the following week, we'll have Coach Don Patterson from uh, the University of Iowa and my alma mater, Western Illinois. And he was an assistant at the University of Buffalo when one of our favorite people on earth, Khalil Mack, was there as well. So we might dabble in a few Khalil Mack stories. And then fourth, or excuse me, then we have Emery Moorhead is going to be on the show the week of training camp to talk about his experiences in training camp, the differences between now and then uh, across the board as far as the training camp experience is concerned. And then uh, to wrap it up, uh, Carolina Teague from ESPN in San Antonio will be on the show uh, to talk bears and, and everything in between as we get ready. That'll be the last show before the preseason starts. And then after that, it'll be preseason review shows until we go headlong into week one preseason when Evan Western from Acme Packing Company will come back to preview week one on Thursday night football between our beloved Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers to kick off not only the 100th season of Chicago Bears football, but 100 seasons of NFL football. I cannot wait. The clock is ticking, and we are getting oh so close to that day coming by. I mean, it's, it's Thursday as I'm recording this, so we're, what, seven weeks from today. So 56 days from today, uh, 55 from when most of you are going to be hearing this, but 56 days from today between the Bears and the Packers getting it on on Thursday night football in the kickoff game for the 100th season of NFL football. How exciting uh, is that? So definitely looking forward uh, to that. Come on back next week when we talk to Adam Rank. We'll be talking about his show that he's going to be doing in Chicago uh, why he's such a big fantasy football guy, and how is it? Is he a California guy that's a Bears fan or a Chicago guy that's an Angels fan? We'll talk about that, and I'll talk about what I mean uh, more when we have Adam on the show. So be sure to come back on Tuesday to hear that and stick around for our little interview series as we close out the summer and get into the preseason. So uh, thanks so much for tuning into these episodes, guys. I know that some of you aren't very patient with them, and you kind of tolerate them, but uh, this is my favorite. These are my favorite shows to do, and I'm super excited that uh, that I'm done. And uh, as soon as we're done with these, and it's right, you can almost taste it. The season is so close. So be sure to come back on Tuesday when we have Adam Rank on the show. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.